Let us pray. O God, may the words of scripture fill our hearts and minds so that we may be transformed by the grace we hear proclaimed and empowered by the Spirit to live as your people. Amen. The reading is from the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless, a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. Please rise for the responsive reading in your bulletin. From Psalm 49. Listen to this, all you people. Pay attention, everyone in the world. For my words are wise, and my thoughts are filled with insight. Why should I fear when trouble comes, when enemies surround me? Yet they cannot redeem themselves from death by paying a ransom to God. To live forever and never see the grave. The grave is their eternal home, where they will stay forever. They may name their estates after themselves. The gospel is from Luke. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, 
Please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. May God add his blessings to these words. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Comedian Jack Benny from the golden age of TV had a skit which illustrated how we place money ahead of everything else. He's walking down the street when suddenly he's approached by an armed robber, your money or your life. There's a long pause. Jack does nothing. The robber impatiently asks, well? And Jack answered, don't rush me, I'm thinking about it. This morning I would like us to think a few moments about our money and our life. Let's see what Jesus has to say about these two subjects. <clears throat> the background for our story is an incident that occurred in Galilee as Jesus was teaching to a large crowd. A young man called out from the crowd and said, Rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance of our father. Now Jewish law clearly prescribed that at the death of a father, the elder son received two-thirds of the inheritance, and the younger son received the remaining one-third. This is obviously a younger son who's complaining about the unfairness of that practice. Nothing will divide brothers and sisters more than dividing up an estate. If you want trouble in a family, try working out the terms of a will. So it was then and so it is now. Jesus refused to get involved though in this petty family squabble. Jesus was, but Jesus was concerned with the larger implications of preoccupation with the things of this world. He said, beware of greed. 
for life does not consist of things possessed. The sum total of a person's life is more than their financial portfolio. He then illustrated this point by telling a story. There was once a man who had an unbroken run of prosperity. In today's language, he'd successfully played the commodities market. So prosperous did he become that his barns couldn't hold all his crops. His solution was to tear down these barns and build bigger and better ones. Then with his financial security in hand, he could sit back and truly enjoy life. <clears throat> his philosophy, of course, was eat, drink, and be merry. Truth be told, when we hear this story, aren't we a little bit envious of this man? A financially successful man, we see him as savvy and wise. Yet Jesus concluded the story by calling this man a fool, not a sinner, a fool. The issue before us this morning is this. What did this man do to make him a fool? To answer this question, we must understand that this is not a parable about money. It is a parable about values and what is important in life. With that in mind, let me suggest four things that this man did that made him a fool. First, he was a fool because he had full barns but an empty heart. He was rich in man's eyes. He was poor in God's eyes. The question that we should ask ourselves this morning is, are we rich in God's eyes or in other people's eyes? St. Jerome, writing about 400 AD, mentioned in a letter <clears throat> a woman who he, quote, I quote, preferred to store her money in the stomachs of the needy than in her purse. It is all right to make investments so long as we understand that the best investment that we can make is in the kingdom of God. Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. The only future that is sure is, God future, is God's future. God will be with you whether or not the NASDAQ ever gets back up again or the bottom drops, drops out completely. God will be with you. Leo Tolstoy once wrote a story about a successful peasant farmer who was not satisfied with his lot. He wanted more of everything. And here's how Tolstoy tells the story. One day a farmer received a novel offer. For 1,000 rubles, he could buy all the land he could walk around in a day. 
The only catch in the deal was that he had to be back at the starting point by sundown. <clears throat> Early the next morning, he started out walking at a fast pace. By midday, he was very tired, but he kept going, covering more and more ground. Well into the afternoon, he realized that his greed had taken him a long way from the starting point. He quickened his pace, and as the sun began to sink low in the sky, he began to run, knowing that if he didn't make it back by sundown, the opportunity to become an even bigger landholder would be lost. As the sun began to sink below the horizon, he came within sight of the finish line, gasping for breath, his heart pounding. He called upon every bit of strength left in his body and staggered across the line just before the sun disappeared. He immediately collapsed, blood streaming from his mouth. In a few minutes, he was dead. Afterwards, his servants dug a grave. title of Tolstoy's story was How Much Land Does a Man Need? All this man needed was a plot six feet by three feet. In the end, Tolstoy suggests that all any of us really own is a six by three piece of earth. So we're better off putting our confidence elsewhere Jesus, like Tolstoy, is warning us that we had better not put our trust in the promise of materialism. If we do, we will be sadly disappointed. Jesus might have asked, how much barn does a man need? We might ask today, how much storage space does a man need? The only resource that can possibly address our deepest longing is God. It is God that will be our rock and our sanity and our security, not a mutual fund. When the doctor calls you in one day and says, it's cancer, it is God that will offer you the peace and calm that you so desperately need. Not all the money in the world will help. The man in the parable was a fool because he banked on full barns. Let us, as the people of God, store our money in the stomachs of the hungry, the minds of the uneducated, the bodies of the sick, the spirits of the oppressed, and the spread of the gospel. Then we shall be rich in God's eyes. In the second place, this man was a fool because he overestimated his own value in the scheme of things. Listen to how he talked. I will store my grain. I will build bigger barns. I will say to myself, in four short verses, the rich man used the word I and my ten times. Ten times the personal pronoun. He did not see others as the source of his bounty, or even God 
only himself. His error is not that he was a wealthy man. His foolishness lay in his superficiality and his egotism. There are some states in the United States that prefer to call themselves commonwealths rather than states. Massachusetts is one. You look at their seal, it says Commonwealth of Massachusetts. I like the term because it reminds us that all wealth is really social in nature. No one of us can maintain ourselves in a social vacuum, short of moving to the far north and trying to live on the land out in the wilderness. I suppose that even then you're not truly living in complete independence. I once read where a PhD in agriculture said that by his estimate, nature provides 95% of the energies necessary to produce a crop, 95%, while the farmer provides 5%. Yet in Jesus' story, this egotistical farmer is using the words I and my as though he's the only one involved. In the movie Shenandoah, James Stewart plays a Virginia farmer during the Civil War years. He begins every meal with the same prayer. Listen to this closely. Lord, I planted the seeds, I plowed the ground, I gathered in the harvest. If I hadn't have put the food on the table, it wouldn't be here. But thank you anyway. We'd all better understand the role of grace and mystery in life, or we too might fall prey to the sin of thinking too highly of ourselves. And the third place, this man was a fool because he forgot what his real business in life was really all about. This man thought that his business was about commodities and markets, and Jesus thought in deeper terms. We are all familiar with Charles Dickens's memorable novel, A Christmas Carol. We've watched it every Christmas. We probably read it every Christmas. And one scene particularly sticks out in my mind. Jacob Marley, Scrooge's deceased business partner, visits him in a ghostly appearance one evening. Marley is chained with large books and ledgers. These are the links that I forged in life, he says. This puzzles Scrooge and he protests, but, but these were the things of your business. And Marley groans back, business. Mankind was my business. The common good was my business. Jesus is suggesting to us that our business in life goes far beyond tally sheets, investments, and tax forms. Our real business is that of our humanity. It gets down to that old philosophical tension between becoming and being. 
We spend too much of our time concentrate on, concentrating on what we are becoming, and we lose sight of what we are being. Several years ago, there was a very powerful movie starring John Hurt. It was called The Doctor. This particular doctor was a very businesslike, rather glib surgeon who had absolutely no rapport with his patients. One day, he has in his office a Hispanic farmer and his family. He's run some tests on the man, and he's seriously ill. And he very matter-of-factly suggests to this man, Sir, if I were you, I would get my affairs in order. At that, the Hispanic farmer places one arm around his wife and the other arm around his children. And he says very simply but very profoundly, Sir, my affairs are in order. What is our business in life? It's not to be successful, it is to be faithful. It is not to amass things, but to grow closer to the mind of God. It is not to become rich in things, but to love people. That is our business, but a fool will never grasp it. And then fourthly, this man was a fool because he forgot about time. His whole attitude in life was that time was unlimited. I have a real thing about digital watches and, and clocks. I hate the clock by my bed with a passion. Because every time I look at it during the night, it gives me one time. You know, we're raising a whole generation of young people. If you ask them, if they ask you what time it was and you said it was seven minutes till 10, they wouldn't have the slightest idea what you're talking about. Wouldn't have the slightest idea. To them, it is 9.53. Because that is what their digital watch is telling them. So what is the problem with that? Simply this, time should have a sweep to it. That's why I like a watch that has a dial and a sweeping second hand. Time never stands still. Digital time is in the time of the immediate moment. Analog time is in the context of time that is in motion. And it's absolutely lethal for Christians to see time only as right now. That is how the world looks at time. The Christian should learn to view time as moving, always moving towards something. How many people have I known who have spent all their time, their life, preparing to live, but never living? 
It may be good to save our money for a rainy day, but we can't save our life for a rainy day. Why? Because time just might run out on us. Friends, the clock is relentless. It beats us down. It is always ticking. Regardless of what we do or fail to do, the clock keeps ticking. It is a fool that says heaven can always wait. It is a fool who builds barns but postpones life. And now to God, all-powerful, almighty, the everlasting God, be all glory and power now and forever. Amen.